Happy Thanksgiving. Well, happy Thanksgiving to me too. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah. Well, if you are here in town visiting family um, and, and you're, you're new, want to very, extend a very warm welcome to you. Um, my name is Jonathan Keenan, and I serve as the RUF campus minister at, at UCSB. And if you're unfamiliar with RUF, that is our denomination's uh, ministry to the college campus. And so I have the privilege and joy of serving at UCSB. And I also have the joy and privilege of opening up God's Word for us this morning. And a couple of, of caveats before we jump into the Proverbs. Uh, one, I preached... Uh, a three kind of part series for USC and UCLA on the idea of friendship. And so this morning you're getting three sermons in one. Now, before you sweat, um, I'm not going to preach all three of those sermons. I've taken a combination of mainly a 30,000 foot view of, of friendship. There's a lot that we could say. And so I've, I've tried to be very uh, particular about giving you a 30,000 foot view of friendship. So we're not going to cover all of the Proverbs, but that will give you some indication of, of where we're going and some food for thought afterwards. You can go back and look at some of the Proverbs that we don't address this morning. Um, the other thing is this, a lot of, of, of this sermon, the material comes from people that I've experienced really good friendships with. And a lot of this material comes <laughs> for the ways in which I've been a terrible friend, um, you know. But there's also material that comes from, you know, kind of just heroes of the faith of mine. So there's a lot of, of, of resources. Uh, C.S. Lewis is going to be mentioned a lot. Tim Keller, a lot of his material my own campus minister back at Ole Miss, University of Mississippi, Les Newsom, some other RUF campus ministers. This is kind of just a combination of a, a wonderful cocktail of biblical friendship from people who've been really good friends to me. So with that said, if you have your, your bulletin, you'll see the, the, the Proverbs printed out for you there. Um, nearly, let's see, an 80-year-long study that Harvard did was recently published, I think within the last year, and it's the longest standing study of, of adulthood that's ever been done. So about 80 years ago, um, Harvard decided to follow two groups of people. It was a group of sophomores at the University of Harvard, or at Harvard University, um, and then a group of inner city boys um, in, in Boston. And their main thesis for why they wanted to study these two groups of, of individuals was they were simply, simply asking this one question, what leads to a happy and healthy life? So for 80 years, they followed these two groups. They followed them after college, the families that they cultivated, the jobs that they have. For 80 years, they followed these two groups of individuals and this is what they discovered about what leads to a happy and healthy life. Close relationships, more than money or fame, 
are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those ties protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genetics. That finding proved true across the board among both the Harvard men and the inner city participants. And the conclusion was this from the study. Loneliness kills. It's as strong a killer as smoking and alcoholism. It's a pretty powerful study to suggest that loneliness is as powerful a killer as smoking or alcoholism. And here's the thing. We live in a culture that doesn't talk a whole lot about friendship. And as we heard last week from Matt Trexler, we have, not just in culture, but actually inside the church, have, have overemphasized and idolized marriage in kind of some unhealthy ways. And he gave a fantastic sermon on the gift of singleness. But here's what I want you to understand. Biblically speaking, marriage is optional. Friendship is not. So much so that Jesus, on the night before he is betrayed and he goes to the cross for his friends, as we just read from John chapter 15, you get this intimate scene in John 17 where Jesus is actually praying to his father. And do you know what he prays at the end of John 17? He prays that you and I would have friends. That we would be one. That we would have communion and fellowship with each other. And so much so that that union and fellowship and communion that we would actually experience would broadcast to a watching world the love of God the Father shown to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus, on the night before he goes to the cross, is praying against our loneliness. And I would actually argue he's probably praying against our greatest fear. So let's ask Jesus this morning to give us a beautiful picture of biblical friendship. So let's pray before we consider these Proverbs this morning. Lord Jesus, it, it's incredible that on the night in which you go um, to suffer and die for your friends, you're actually praying that we might have friends, and that we might actually have companions to do life with. It's difficult to be a friend, and it also gets at the longing of all of our hearts. Some of our greatest fears are tied up and the idea of being rejected, not being liked. The idea of being alone. And so, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray this morning as we consider the book of wisdom, that you would give us eyes to see the wonder and beauty of friendship and ears to hear. Would you come and teach us and enable us uh, to be better friends? Would you do that for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to make a bold uh, and maybe provocative statement, and that is this. Uh, beer and whiskey commercials are better than any other commercials that you'll ever see. For instance, 
Have you seen the Guinness commercial that came out a couple of years ago? The scene is set in a basketball gym, and there's 10 guys, and they're playing wheelchair basketball. And it's an actually very competitive game. They're, they're bumping into each other. Uh, there's the elbows. People are falling out of their wheelchairs. It's a, it's a pretty intense basketball game. And then all of a sudden, something happens that you don't expect. After the game, nine out of the ten players stand up and get out of their wheelchair and push their wheelchairs aside. And they go next to the one guy who actually stays in his wheelchair, who actually needs it because he's paralyzed on the waist down. And it shows them kind of leaving the gym, and one of the friends puts his hand on the back of the guy in the wheelchair and says, same time next week. And then it pans out, and then all of a sudden it fades in, and they're sitting in a bar around a table of Guinness beer. And the narrator says this, loyalty, dedication, friendship. The choices we make reveal the true nature of our character. And then, of course, everybody wants to go drink and get a spear, right? <laughs> Beautiful picture of what friendship really looks like. I mean, it's such a disarming and beautiful picture to think about who would do something like that for me? Would take the time and invest to know and experience my own struggles, my own insecurities. What a beautiful picture. And, and really to ask yourself the question of, what would it look like if I had a friend who would do something like that for me? Who would laugh with me? Who would weep with me? Who would seek to celebrate my joys and highs in life? The Bible says there's great beauty in friendship, something so incredibly powerful when someone chooses voluntarily to commit and serve someone else besides themselves. So with that in mind, I, I just want to look at three things. Again, this is a, a, a large overview, and there's a whole lot that we could say, and I'm going to try and be very succinct this morning. But I want to look at the uniqueness of friendship, the practice of friendship, and then the power of friendship. First, the uniqueness of friendship. If you look at Proverbs 17, 18, and 27, the author of Proverbs says, A friend loves at all times. When a brother is born for adversity, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. First, the uniqueness of friendship. The Bible says something pretty unique about the nature of friendship. A friend can actually be better than a sibling. And you have to understand that this is said in a context where family dominated culture. In the ancient Near East, family was the most important set of relationships that one would have. And here the author of Proverbs is saying that a friend is actually and can be better than a sibling. Now, it's not hard to figure out why. 
and it's already kind of been alluded to, but you kind of don't choose the family that you're in, which means that you may have siblings who have to love you, but not necessarily like you. (laughs) They kind of have to show up to celebrate the big successes in your life, you know, like graduation or, you know, things like that, your 16th birthday. They kind of have to show up to those things. They also have to be drugged to the, the disappointments. You see, siblings are kind of obligated to love their other siblings. But a friend chooses. A friend chooses to voluntarily commit themselves out of love to be with you and to do life with you. This is what's so fascinating about this proverb. A friend is one who will choose you voluntarily. That word for sticks closer to you than a brother is actually the word for cleave, which literally means one who's committed out of love to you. A friend comes and says, I'm all in no matter what. No matter what circumstances, no matter what you're going through. Literally, it says a friend loves at all times. That that means a friend loves at all times types or all kinds of times. Times of disappointment, a friend is there. A time of success, a friend is there. A time of deep heartache and sadness, a friend is there. A friend sticks, cleaves, is committed. I had a, a roommate in college, uh, one, of my, my, one of my dear friends for about and we lived together for about three years. His name was, was Dallas. And um, through my relationship with Dallas, I got to know some of his other friends. And one night, one of his other friends was, was at our house and kind of telling a story about their relationship. So my, this friend was a guy named Drew. And Drew was telling me about his friend Dallas, who was actually one of my good friends. And Dallas, when he graduated high school... He decided before he went to college, he was going to take like a two-month excursion um, and kind of backpack Colorado. He was going to kind of go off the grid. He and a friend went out to Colorado, and that's what they were doing. And about, I can't remember the time frame, maybe a month into their trip, he's at an outpost, has a phone, calls home to check in, and he calls his mom, and his mom basically says, look, you need to call Drew. He's like, well, what happened? He said, well... Jay, Drew's little brother who had spina bifida, died. So Dallas hangs up the phone. And if you knew Dallas, this would be a lot funnier. Um, But he called Drew immediately, and this is all he said. (laughs) Now, he went by John in high school. He changed his name when he got to college. Apparently, you can do that. But he called Drew, and he said, Drew, it's John. I'm coming home. (laughs) Click. Packed up his white Subaru with a six-pack of Red Bull and drove from Colorado all the way to Memphis in 22 hours. Didn't even go home to shower. Went straight to Drew's house to be with him. A friend sticks, cleaves, is committed out of love at all times. 
So the question I want you to ask yourself is, is there stickiness in your friendships this morning? Are you, do you have the I'm coming home type of friend in your life? Or, or, or let me put it like this, are you the I'm coming home type of friend? You see, the Proverbs is saying is that if, if you only have friendships that, that you use in order to benefit yourself, you're actually no friend at all. Like, if you only have friends that benefit, like, they're a great network of contacts, or they've got a great lake house that you get to enjoy. <laughs> or my interaction with them at, at, at every point always somehow benefits and makes me happy. Then the proverb is saying you're actually not real, you're not a real friend. There's no stickiness there. A friend loves at all times, cleaves. That's the first thing we see about a uniqueness of a friendship. But the second thing we, we see is that friendships are not manufactured, they're discovered. The book of Proverbs is a book about wisdom, and over and over again it's talking about wisdom as a path or a journey headed towards some destination, a shared experience or, or shared vision or purpose. And so what I want you to understand is that friendship happens when two people are headed towards the same destination. When two people discover a shared purpose or a shared experience. Notice what 27.9 says. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. True friendship is like sweet food. This is interesting because all the commentators note that sugar had not yet been discovered. Like you, in the ancient Near East, you didn't have artificial artificial sweeteners. You couldn't just find something to sweeten some food or things like that. Sweet things had to be discovered. You see what the, the proverb is saying? That's what friendship is like. It's not manufactured. Friendship is actually discovered. It requires a foundation, a common love, a, a common vision that simply can't be manufactured. As C.S. Lewis famously said on friendship, the typical expression of an opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. It is when two such persons discover one another, when they share their vision, is when a friendship is born. A friendship is found on a journey headed somewhere. Friends, are people who are headed towards a common horizon, as Tim Keller puts it. They have a shared experience, a shared goal, a shared purpose. And here's what I want to suggest. The quality of your friendships, most of the time, will be related or connected to the permanence and quality of that destination or shared experience. Wish I had more time to dive into that. Let me say it again. The quality of your friendships most of the time will be connected to the permanence and quality of that common horizon or shared experience. For example, if you had a friendship and you discovered that you both liked One Direction, it probably didn't last too long because One Direction broke up. And it's really bad pop music. That's beside the point. The quality of that friendship 
related to the quality of that shared experience versus someone, say, if you discovered that you both lost a child or you both lost a spouse. You see, the quality of that shared experience is so much deeper, so much greater when it's connected to the quality and permanence of that destination. Friendships, the uniqueness, biblically speaking, there's got to be stickiness and there's got to be sweetness. If I can put it like that. But what about the practice of friendship? Again, we don't have time to look at all of these Proverbs. Um, but Proverbs 25, 20, 26, 25, 18, 27. What is the friendship really about? How do you forge it? How do you practice it? And this is going to sound like I'm stating the obvious, but I think it kind of needs to be said. The practice of friendship begins by actually knowing the other person. (laughs) Knowing the other person means that you have to be involved in that person's life. Again, that sounds like I'm stating the obvious. But for most of us, the greatest commodity that we white-knuckle the most is our time. And what the Proverbs is saying right out of the gate is, is in order to practice biblical friendship, you actually have to spend time getting to know the other person, be able to care for them emotionally. A true friend understands you. A true friend knows your moods. This is what the Proverbs is saying. You can't sing songs of joy when your friend is sad. So if you're happy when you have a friend who is sad, the proverb saying you're actually not a friend. A true friend knows you. And there's this emotional vulnerability and care that comes when a friendship is forged. Friendship is always about that gift of emotional care, which means this, a friend is not your friend until they know your insecurities. A friend is not your friend until they know your fears, your hopes, your dreams, the things that make you nervous. A friend is not your friend until they know your secret sins. Until they know you and they know what kind of person you are. And here's the thing, if a friend sticks closer to you than a brother, then it's not only okay, but it's actually good to allow them to see your weakness, your neediness, and your vulnerability. Because if your friendship is based around someone who has committed themselves to you, no matter what, then it's okay for you to take the mask off and allow people in. And what happens then is a friend is then drawn to your struggles, not repelled by them. A friend then is able to take on your sadness when you're sad. Your happiness becomes theirs. Friendship is about knowing and understanding and caring for each other. There's this emotional vulnerability. But there's also this ability to speak truth. The wounds of a friend are faithful, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. True friends are going to confront. There's going to be conflict. If you don't have any conflict in your life, then you're not doing relationships right. Most people are terrified of conflict. 
And what the proverb is saying is if you have no conflict, if you have no friends who are able to confront you, then they're actually your enemy. A faithful friend is able to wound you in order to restore and heal you. A faithful friend is someone who can be honest with you, especially if your life is headed towards a direction of destruction. See, a true friend is not worried about your approval of them. They love you more than the friendship itself, so they're able to wound you with honesty and truth. So do you have anyone in your life who can actually be honest with you? Or do you only have yes men who only tell you the things that you want to hear? Do you have anyone in your life who's able to wound you in order to heal you and to make you whole? Or do you have anyone that you can go to and say, how do I come across? And they'll actually be honest with you? See, if you only have yes men, they aren't your friends, they're your enemies. Now, one quick caveat, because there's two emotions that just arose in this room. One was fear, like, oh great, now I'm going to be confronted by all my friends. And two, the people who are like, it's about time someone's given me the green light to go and confront. Can't wait to clobber them. I've really been wanting to share this with that, that person. You cannot wound in order to heal that particular friend unless, you can't do that until they know that you actually care and love them. In other words, if you haven't earned the right to wound, you cannot wound. If that person does not know that you love and care for them, if they haven't seen you in the valleys, they haven't seen you a part of their life, then you can't go clobber them with the truth. Friends, speak to one another. The only way for you to know the person, to emotionally care for the person, to speak truth in their lives is if you're actively involved. And that means that friendship, the practice of friendship, is hard work. It takes a lot of time. It's difficult. There is sacrifice. But you have to be involved. Like I said earlier, beer and whiskey commercials are the best. Did you ever see the Bell's Scotch Whiskey ad that came out a couple years ago? Starts with, it's set in South Africa. And it starts with this man, this older man, probably in his, his mid-70s, and he's in a, in a store, and he's buying a, a, a notepad and a pencil. And then the next scene, you see that he's, he's sitting at a desk, and he's looking at a chalkboard, and there's someone up there writing the, the alphabet, and he's taking notes. And then you see him with his friends at a park who are playing Scrabble, and they're helping him with his letters, helping him with his words. And then you see him in his car, and he's listening to a tape, and he's reciting his ABCs. He's, he's uh, you know, um, repeating dog and cat, and he's writing it all out. And then it shows him reading a children's book. And what you learn is that he's, he's, he's learning how to read. 
And then he, he passes his class and he gets a gold star. And a lot of his friends, his old, old park buddies show up to cheer him on when he, when he passes his class. And then it, it shows him walking into a bookstore and he goes up and he buys a particular book. And then the next scene is he's sitting in his chair at his house and he's reading the book cover to cover. And then the next scene, he walks into a bar and he lays the book on the counter next to a young man. And the young man looks and the old man looks at the young man and he says, son, I read your book. And the son's expression is like, what? How did you, you read my book? And of course, the tears flow, they embrace Bell's whiskey. (laughs) A wonderful picture of the practice of friendship. A friend, a true friend, knows what's important to you. And they'll do anything that they can in order to show that to you. Friends will do anything to experience your joys and enter into your successes. They will walk through the valleys. They understand you. They get you. So how do we get that? Where's the power for friendships? And again, when you hear this type of of story and you're thinking, man, having a friend like that would be awesome. So those desires are real. But then you take inventory of your heart and you're like, but man, do I fall short. And so it's kind of crushing. And it would be very crushing for me just to say, okay, Christ Prez, go out and be better friends, you terrible people. But you hear this all the time. Guilt and shame are terrible motivators. They don't actually change the heart. It only rigs it for a time. You can fake being a good friend and still have a rotten heart. So how do you actually get an internal change to where you become a friend like the Proverbs is suggesting? And here's what I want to suggest. The power and engine for real friendships will only happen when you have been satisfied and enamored with the friendship of God. Jesus Christ, who is fully God, became a man in order to become friends with sinners. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, came into this world and he needed friends. He needed fellowship. This is what is so beautiful about Christianity. Jesus came and he gave his heart to his friends, guys like Peter, James, and John. You see, on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus actually says, no love is greater than this than one who lays down his life for his friends. And he looks at his his disciples, he says, you are my friends, you're no longer my servants, you're my friends. And what happens to Jesus' friends? On the night in which he needed them most, all of his friends abandoned him. You see, there was no stickiness in the disciples' friendship. Peter denied ever knowing Jesus. All of his friends scattered. But Jesus still went to the cross. Why? 
because he was going to demonstrate to his disciples what the ultimate friend is like. I will go and lay down my life for my friends, the ones who just abandoned me, the ones who just rebelled against me, the ones who were so consumed with self and their reputation. I'm going to go and lay down my life and be the ultimate friend. This is why the heart of Christianity is not just a set of beliefs. It's about a relationship. It's about a friendship with God. Think about it. Only in Jesus Christ do you have a friend who sticks closer to you than a brother. Jesus says there is no amount of shame, no amount of guilt, no amount of sin that could ever separate you from me and my friendship. Talk about stickiness. He's more committed to you than you ever will be to him. He understands. Only in Jesus Christ do you have someone who completely gets you. You can talk, pray with. He knows you. He knows what has happened to you. He shared your experience. He knows everything that troubles you. He knows your fears, your heartaches. He knows what it feels like to be rejected and to be alone. Jesus enters into every area of of your struggle in this broken and fallen world. He gets you like no one else. But he also fights for you. I did a sermon series one time called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. Because Jesus is incredibly honest. He's the only one who can correct you and rebuke you and discipline you, and you know that the wounds that come from Jesus are only the expressions of his love because he wants to make you whole. What changes you into a real friend is seeing and believing Jesus is the ultimate friend. When that relationship captivates your hearts, then you become like what you love. You become like Jesus. When you see Jesus laying down his life for you, when you see Jesus making enemies his friends, then that enables you to love at all times. It enables you then to become a friend like Jesus where you can forgive, extend grace, be patient. You can give up your time and begin to sacrifice in the ways in which you have seen Jesus do with you. Jesus is inviting you this morning into that kind of friendship, into that kind of community. So my question is this. Do you want that kind of friendship, the one that Jesus offers? Because if you do, that will enable you to become the friend that everyone in this room so desperately needs. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's incredibly good news to know that you became what you were not, that as a man to become friends with sinners who rightly deserved to be abandoned, who rightly deserved condemnation and your wrath, but instead you demonstrated what a true friend is. And so I pray this morning that as, as we contemplate biblical friendship,
at least this very brief glance, that you would give us a greater love for one another, that you'd give us greater patience for one another, that you would give us the ability to give up our time and to invest in one another. Because ultimately what that does is it gives us a beautiful picture of what community is supposed to be like, where we can love at all times and serve and commit to love each other the way in which you've done. So would you cultivate those things in all of our hearts? For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.